Nehemiah. All right, well, welcome to lesson one in the book of Nehemiah. Everyone say Nehemiah. The title that I've given this lesson for tonight is Sent by the King, a vision in the making. The verse that I've chosen for our anchor verse for tonight is Nehemiah 1 and 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble, disgrace, and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been burned. When I heard this, I sat down and wept for days. I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Awesome verse. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is your church, and Holy Spirit, this is your room. We welcome you to speak tonight to us, to those gathered in this room and those listening by podcast. Speak to us, even whisper things that your servant does not say, but we welcome you to speak to us through this great book. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Number one, living in reproach can be defined as living beneath the glory, what should be and could be. So you have two blanks there on number one, living in reproach. The captives had returned um, back to Israel, but the rubble was overwhelming. Everyone say rubble. Uh, they had survived. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, and he had destroyed the city, and they had been taken captive to Persia. But then God overwhelmed their captors and set them free. Someone say hallelujah. And in 458 to 420 B.C. is when this story takes place. Hang with me through the short history. King Artaxerxes was the most dominant power. And the promise was to those that had returned to Jerusalem was that God was going to rebuild them. But how many know in the time sometimes of a promise, there's trouble? Can I get an amen? There's disgrace and there's reproach and there's no boundaries. And so Nehemiah gets word from Hananiah in verse 1 that's who's speaking to him and says things are not well. Someone say not well. Nehemiah caught a vision for his people. What's interesting and powerful is before they sinned, before they ever were taken captive, God had a plan in motion. How many are so thankful that God is always ahead of it? Amen. Before all that God had would do through Nehemiah, he had chosen him. I love the famous statement that says, we serve a God who designs our deliverance before man can devise our destruction. Can you say amen? What had happened with them, and I want to say this as a warning to you and I. When they lived in Jerusalem, before they were taken captive to Babylon in the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they were taken captive, they began with one compromise. Someone say compromise. Uh, one of our students, Sonia Merkel, went to Christ for the Nations years ago when she was Sonia Taylor. And one of her professors said something so powerful, I never forgot it. He said, if I came into this room, let's say this room, and I slightly painted, and you couldn't smell the paint. And every night I painted this just a slight different color. And you kept coming in every week. You wouldn't notice until finally I had painted the room a different color. This is the problem with compromise. Israel didn't notice. A little compromise here. Can I get an amen? And a little compromise there. Before they had known it, they had led themselves down the path of being unfaithful. God had said, like Peggy read, if you sin, I will bring you into captivity, but then I'll return you. Someone say, thank God for that promise. In 11, the first of Nehemiah 1, it says the memoirs 
memoirs of Nehemiah, the cupbearer. Everyone say the cupbearer of the king. Uh, memoirs are a historical account written by personal experience. But the thing about it is when you read um, someone's going back and if you were to write about your life when you become 90, there were things that you would understand when you become 90 that you could not understand when you were 15. I can say at 60, there are things I understand that I could not understand when I was 21. Can I get an amen from any of the older people? A.W. Tozer said, we can in our day be what the heroes of faith were in their day, but they didn't know they were heroes. Someday on the red carpet of eternity, I often like to say, you will understand how God moved heaven and earth for you. The reason I entitled it Sent by the King, because just as King, you'll find that out in a moment, so has the Holy Spirit been sent by King Jesus. Holy Spirit represents, or Nehemiah represents Holy Spirit. And I love it that God has sent us the Holy Spirit. I love it that he rebuilds us, he restores us, and he renews us. Can I get an amen? And all the days, someone say all the days, all the days of Nehemiah's life, I'm sure he questioned why am I a bartender and not a builder? Come on, somebody. He was the cupbearer, which means he served wine to the king. Now, Perry Stone would tell you, and he's got a great doctor on it, that that wine was different than this wine. But that's not my sermon tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not her sermon tonight. But he was in an evil country serving the king. And I'm sure often he asked, like you and I do, I know there's a builder inside of me. There's a restorer but here I am living beneath what could be and should be, serving the king. Why am I stuck here? Anybody ever ask that? Why am I here doing something that's not even remotely connected to what God is putting in my heart? Why am I in Persia? But God, someone say God, had spent years getting Nehemiah into position. I'm going to tell you this and submit this to your consideration tonight. God has spent years getting me where I'm at and getting you where you're at, and God doesn't make mistakes. Give him a hand clap of praise for that tonight. The cool thing is, here's Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, which actually meant he had to taste the drink first to make sure if it was poison, he would go down first. How many like to sign up for that job tonight? I'm going to be your poison. Look at your neighbors. I'm going to be your poison taster. I'm going to take one for the team. But instead, listen to this, instead of him cursing his surroundings, he continued to be faithful. And the problem is, when you curse your surroundings, when you curse your job, when you curse your home, when you curse the car that you drive, when you curse your spouse. Oh, none of y'all have done that, I know. When you curse your animal, when you curse your vocation, what you curse becomes a focus. And to focus on what's around you diminishes your ability to focus on what's before you. Can I get an amen? God knew what he was doing. God is a divine orchestrator. He's a divine travel agent. He's a divine author. Nehemiah was not the boss. He was a servant to the king, but he changes a nation. I'm going to tell you something. Look at your neighbor today and say, I'm not looking for a title. I'm looking for an opportunity. Because within an opportunity, you will always find God's grace on you. Number two, a vision begins as a concern. A vision begins as a concern. I love that. Nehemiah hears. And the reason I, I named this um, 
living beneath the glory, that's what reproach is to me. That means that, and we'll discover this as we go on, that God has a mindset. And Nehemiah hears about his brothers and sisters over in Jerusalem, and his heart is burdened. Like we read earlier in our scripture readout, he was burdened. He cried for many days. Now, you're going to watch this, Nehemiah, and all the way through the five chapters that we're going to study, he is a mighty warrior. He is a brilliant statesman. He is a strong leader. He is not someone who sits and cries all the time, but he was broken when he heard it. Underneath number two, the statement says, God, may my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let me tell you something tonight. When you think about something you want to bring to the earth, did you know most people that brought things to the earth did it out of a burden? Did you know inventors thought about what could be and should be? Anyone thankful for Thomas Edison and electricity? I mean, there was just a day he was trying to solve that problem. He was burdened to solve something. Um, the one that came up with the polio cure, thank God for that. William Wibberforce, who came up with the end of slavery in England. It's because they got a burden. Everyone say burden. A God-ordained vision for your life will begin as a concern. What gets your attention? What gets your attention? When you see or hear something, what gets your attention? What makes your heart hurt? For some of you, it might be someone in addiction. For some of you, it might be the homeless community. For some of you, it might be homes that are out of order or to our teachers in the room, to children that need to be taught. Those visions stick with you. Sometimes we have burdens about things, but it goes away. But what sticks with you? Bob Pierce was in China as a young man. He met an impoverished woman, and she had an abandoned child with her. And she said to him, what are you going to do about this child that has nothing? He gave her his last $5. His heart was so burdened. He agreed that every month he would send $5 to help this little abandoned child in China. Everyone said it began with a burden. And then it became a vision. Look at your neighbor and say, what burdens you? What burdens you? What gets you up in the middle of the night? You say nothing, Pastor Rhonda. Okay, what burdens you around lunchtime? Come on, somebody. Bob Pierce went on to found World Vision that feeds children all around the globe by meeting, it's just, I mean, all over the world. Look up World Vision. It's huge. It started by a burden. I want you to say everything starts by a burden. And Nehemiah was brought to tears over this situation. And then he had conviction to do something about it. On your paper are fine li five lines. Vision draws us to, or four, this is what could be. Everyone say what could be. This is what should be. By God's grace, this is what will be. The, amen. The reason I have a passion to teach the word of God and to be a pastor is because when I was young, and my heart was a burden that people would understand who God had called them to be. In my heart still today is a burden that people be raised up according to the word and according to what God can do. These people living in Israel were living beneath the glory. You'll, you'll learn about this more in the weeks to come. They had forgotten who they were. You know, sometimes life knocks the stuffing out of you. Can I get an amen? And you forget who you are as children of the Most High God. And what I love is... Holy Spirit is like a Nehemiah in our life. He surveys the walls. In the next five weeks, 
He's going to survey your walls. I promise you. I've prayed too hard for it. He's going to survey your heart. He's going to survey your emotions. He's going to survey your desires. And as we often say around here, you think, oh, he's coming after me. I know it's my time. He's going to reveal all the terrible things about me and publish them in the local, whatever, newspaper. No, he's coming to heal. Look at your neighbor and say, he's coming to heal. He knows what should be and could be in your life. So when you wake up in the morning, when you put your head to bed at night, he surveys. He does it with me too. And he says, Rhonda, I see some brokenness here. As we know, Psalms 44 and 21 says, shall not God search this out? For he knows the broken places in the heart. You see, Nehemiah is going to go in. He hears about the brokenness in the city. And he's going to go in to survey. You'll travel with him. You'll learn so much through him. One of the most extraordinary leaders in the Bible. But Holy Spirit is coming to survey the parts of your heart. He's coming to look what's been burned. Their gates have been burned by fire. But anybody beside me have some places that have been burnt because of what you've gone through? You've got some things, boundaries that are out of whack that need to get back in control. Can I get an amen from any boundary-loving individual? Rebuild to what should be and could be. Repair and reinforce. Look at your neighbor and say, repair and reinforce. Number three, Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Nehemiah means the comforter and comes from the root word nacham in the Hebrew and conveys the idea of one that becomes active in the interest of another. I love that. I love that. Someone that becomes active in the interest of another. He is always interested in you. I want you to say, Holy Spirit is always interested in me. I looked up the word interest just to see what Webster's might say to us tonight. It means undivided attention. It means vigilance. It means concern. That means there's nowhere we can go that he doesn't know. He knows every thought. Psalms 139 tabulates everything. He knows every thought that we think. Look at your neighbor and say, oh my. Thank God he's the only one to know. Can I get an amen? Psalms 139 says, if I make my bed in hell, he is there. Jesus said, it is better that I go, that Holy Spirit comes. And Holy Spirit, like Nehemiah, next week, and why am I saying this? Because we're not going there tonight. He goes into the city and spends a lot of time measuring things and looking at the destruction. I want to tell you that Holy Spirit is the awesome third person of the Trinity. This is his room. Every Sunday, this is his room. Every Wednesday, this is his room. He can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants. We're looking for miracles, signs, and wonders, and restorations in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. This is his room. Come on, give him a hand. That's what we're looking for. And Holy Spirit is coming to survey that brokenness. He's coming to heal. He's coming to mend for all of us. Just like Nehemiah, we rebuild the city. Holy Spirit is going to do some rebuilding in the next five weeks. It may be while you're driving your car, so get some tissues ready. It may be while you're cooking, working on your car. It may be at your job. It may be Sunday morning during worship. It may be Wednesday night. I know there's going to be some special moments coming up, which that will be made afforded to you. And you'll hear about other people who have walked through things like abortions and other things and been healed by the power of Holy Spirit. Isn't he wonderful? Someone say, isn't he wonderful? So that's what we're going to prepare for. 
The scripture underneath that is from Nehemiah. It says, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant. So look up. He gets the vision. He hears about the reproach. He hears about how his brothers, God moves on his heart. Just like God moved on Pastor Hank and I's heart while he took me dragging, screaming to come up here to this mountain. God moved and said, I want to reach the scattered. I want to raise people up. I want to do a mighty work. And he gets the vision. So you think the next thing he's going to do is just going to take off in the night, you know, pack his bags, grab a camel and go forward. Someone say, no way, no way. But what he does is he begins to pray. Listen to this. Prayer is the place to process God's work in your heart. He said, put, God said, put me in remembrance. I want you to say, God said, put me in remembrance. Nehemiah took his grief to God. He took the vision to God. We're going to get to this in a moment, but sometimes the worst thing I've seen, Keith, is people that run out, like we talked about on spiritual gifts. They put a, a little thing on the side of their car, Prophetess Rhonda Davis, and they head off into the sunset, and then they're back in a couple of weeks with no sandwiches. Come on, somebody. But he prays to God and processes it. Psalm 61 and 12 says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry out to you. When I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. He goes to God. Number four, it's interesting that Nehemiah never prayed for God to rebuild the wall. He prayed for an opportunity to rebuild it himself. Opportunity to work alongside God. Our tendency is to pray for miracles, isn't it? I was bombarded with messages from people in our church and other places before I could even get here tonight. Pray for this and pray for that and please pray for this. I mean, situations that need God to move and we will pray and we will stand in the gap. Can I get an amen? But our tendency is to pray for miracles, but in most situations, it's more appropriate to pray for opportunities. More than likely, you need an opportunity rather than something supernatural. The difference between a dreamer, everyone say a dreamer, and a visionary is that dreamers just sit around and dream how it could be. But a visionary envisions themselves making a difference. I love uh, the biggest thing, I, so many things I loved about Pastor Hank was that um, while other people were dream boarding, and I'm all about lists. I'm a list maker. I'm a chart maker and all that. But while other people sat for months and dream boarded about things, he just already gone out and done it. Because sometimes we get so caught up in dreaming and we're daydreaming. Someday I'm going to make a difference. Someday I'm going to do this. But visionaries begin to envision themselves making the difference where things are wrong. Someone say amen. So why did he pray? Because prayer keeps us looking. Prayer keeps the burden fresh. Don't miss this. It keeps our eyes and hearts in expectant mode. When I'm praying for something, I notice the slight change. You ever been there? I mean, I've prayed for marriages before, and all of a sudden, he looked at her. I remember one time I was counseling with someone, and he began to play with her hair, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I see it. I see it, Lord. Um, I mean, you think that's little, but these two people hated each other. Come on, somebody. And he just begins to come over, and, and I thought, I'm going to get up and shout. Come on, somebody. But when you pray, you start looking for what you prayed for. It keeps us on the outlook for his intervention. You've heard about the retic reticular. Everyone say reticular. Activating system. That's the part of your brain that's powerful. Mine is on steroids. It really is. Pastor would tell you that. My friends would tell you that. If I have a match, I can match it to the year, the month, the day. But i got to have a match. If you ask me 
you know, I, I didn't want to get into science or biology. My siblings can answer that stuff. But I have a strong reticular activating system. That part of your brain is a match. So you go to the car dealership and you buy this lime green color. And you say, I've never seen this Hyundai that's lime green. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful. Never seen another one. And then someone say, then you drive it off the parking lot. And what do you see? Lime green Hyundais everywhere you go because you didn't have a match in your brain. And once you have a match, you begin to see it. It's the same thing in prayer, Stephanie. When we begin to pray for specific things, we begin to see the match for it. All of a sudden, you pray for your strength, and you get up the next morning, I don't feel like a dead dog anymore. Come on, somebody. You pray for this, and all of a sudden, you think, I'm seeing some changes. My boss is a heathen. I think I just heard him cuss only 17 times today. Come on, somebody. I had a boss in the restaurant industry, and oh, my Lord, he had the mouth of sailor in Southern California. I worked a lot of restaurants growing up in and we used to pray, Lord God, just keep it under 99. Come on, you know. If we could just have 98 curse words today, it'd be a win. Come on, somebody. Someone say prayer synthesizes you. Good. To subtle changes in the landscape. When you begin to pray for things, it opens your eyes. Lord, I pray that my coworkers don't make me want to kill them. In your name, Lord. And all of a sudden, you notice that they're, yeah, I got some nods. We're not going to take any pictures of the room. Um, and all of a sudden, you notice they're not getting on your nerves as much because you're looking because you're praying. Someone say, you're looking because you're praying. In verse 5, he goes on to say, oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Someone say, the great and awesome God. You know, we worship on Sunday morning um, because that's who we've always been and we'll always be. I'm working on a message about worship, but that's who we've always been here. We always take time to worship first thing on Sunday morning we come in here because we want to acknowledge the great and awesome God before we want to beseech him for our 1,000 requests. Can I get an amen? We want to acknowledge him first. That's the divine game changer. Everyone say divine game changer. And that is to acknowledge. And he just says, oh, great and awesome God, you are so powerful. I'm going to tell you what I, I used to teach about worship as a first worship leader here. So I had to learn about it. And I even went and taught at Lee University one time, which still makes me laugh. I told Josh, I'm going to have to bring those notes in sometime. I actually taught Lee University students about worship. Look at your neighbor say, go figure. I mean, I was too young to know that was way above my pay grade. I just did it. Can I get an amen? Uh, but at any rate, I was taught through the book of the word of the Lord and Psalms, we enter into his gates with, and to his, with praise. We come in with thanksgiving. That's why we sing. Um, I can't think of anything we sing right now, Josh, but I'm working it. I'm working it. Um, yeah, well, guess what? You are good, and I laugh because you are good, and I shout because you are good. So that's why we enter into gates with thanksgiving. The way they taught me, my spiritual fathers, when I led worship was, it's breaking off the flesh. That's why we try to get you to clap. We try to get you to move. We try to get you to lift your hands because you and your Bessie brother just argued on the way to church. Come on, somebody. You had to yell at the kids. Can I get an Amen. You know, Lionel Richie has that song, easy like Sunday morning. He never went to church with children on Sunday morning. Come on. And it's such a true story. I mean, Pastor Hank and I, we learned in the early days not to drive together to church. We did not do it. Now, we went to other services because he wanted to look, why he drank his coffee, 
Look at that rabbit running beautifully on the side. Look at the sunset. Like, we're going to be late. Put your foot to the pedal. You know, all I want to do is get to me like, oh, isn't the Lord good today? You just had a calmness about him. Look at those puppies frolicking in the field. You know, and I'm like, anyway, I, I, I miss that so much about him. But we learn to not drive in the same car. It will save your marriage if you can do it. But at any rate, so that's why we get you in here to enter his gates with thanksgiving because we're just trying to shake off your flesh. Can I get an amen? You know, the thing that my spiritual fathers taught me when I would lead worship was this. No, oh, I got to move a little faster. We're just, okay, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Um, we're good. We're good. Um, they would say, you know, you might have prayed all Saturday night, and I didn't pray all Saturday night, but you might have prayed and y'all have practiced an hour, but they're coming in mad at each other. They're coming in needing somebody to just break off. That's why we enter his gates with. And then we move into courts where we praise him for who he is. And then we go past that into the holy place. That's when we get more intimate in our worship. It's a game changer. Give God a hand clap of praise. It's a game changer. And that's what. Nehemiah said, oh, great and awesome God. And you'll find Peter saying that in New Testament. And you'll find Paul saying that. They always say, blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to his name. And they'd get arrested and beaten to a pulp. And they'd come back and pray. And blessed be your holy name. Oh, by the way, we had some trouble today. But first of all, we want to say you're awesome. Always begin your prayer in your desperate moments with God. You are faithful. God, you are awesome. God, you've helped me before. I know you're not going to deny me now because that's a game changer. Amen? Amen. You can go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise. So moving on at the bottom of your paper, and then we'll turn over. Pray for opportunities and plan if, if you expect God to answer your prayers. So Nehemiah goes on. He says, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success. Someone say, grant me success and favor as I go to the king. Listen, pray before you go to the boss. Pray before you go to the banker. Oh, I've had some biggest prayers before I went to the banker. Can I get an amen? Pray before you go to a dignitary. Pray before you go. Ask God for favor and grant me success. And he says, put it in the heart of the king to be kind to me. You can go ahead. and For I was a cupbearer to the king. You can turn over. Number five, the process God appoints for us will cause the vision to mature in us. And we mature in preparation for the vision. That fill in the blank is mature. And then I'm going to finish up from some things I just said. I want to just get you on there. The reason that he prayed for um, the compassion to be in the king's heart, I want you to get this. King's ancestors tore the city down. Track with me. Well, I don't want to go talk to the banker because I missed that payment. I'm five days late. Oh, no, you track with Nehemiah. He goes to the king whose ancestors tore his city down, and now he's going to ask him, let me go and rebuild it with all your resources. I mean, who would do that in the natural, right? He's praying God soften the heart. As I said, you go to a boss. You go to someone over you. You're the person over you in your job. Pray for favor. Pray that God will turn the heart. In fact, Proverbs 21 and 1, write it down that, that address on your paper. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. Look at your neighbor and say, pray first. See, if God could sway the king of Persia, Susa, 
to rebuild the city his ancestors tore down, he can certainly change the heart of those that you want to talk to that you think are in between you and the vision. Pastor Hank had a mighty statement. People think, well, I'm, I think I should be the one preaching instead of Pastor Hank, Pastor Ron. It was the early days. Everybody was a little crazy. I think I should be leading worship. And Pastor Hank had this fab, favorite statement. He said, do you think I'm bigger than God? You think if God wants you up here, God can't get you up here? It's the same thing with what we think with our gifts in our job. You think if God wants you to have that promotion, that that Betty that's over you, that's mean as a junkyard dog is going to stand in the way, someone say no. No. Humanly speaking, there was no way that the king would agree with him, but he did because he prayed. Everyone say pray first. Pray first. Just pray under your breath. It doesn't have to be a... A big old, I don't have an hour to meditate. Hallelujah. Come and help me, Lord. I shall now sing in several languages for six hours. Everyone say no. My prayers on the way are help me, Holy Spirit. Turn his heart. Turn her heart. Give me favor. Open the door. It's usually why I'm buckling my seatbelt and making sure I don't have anything on my teeth. Come on, somebody. You and I put... Uh, liberal or, or conservative or legal laws on ourselves that we should not. None of us have six hours a day to sing Kumbaya, but a moment of dedication before the Lord is going to bring the results that he wants. Somebody give him a hand clap tonight. So, so number five is the vision to mature in us and we mature. So let's break that down into two parts. The vision matures in us. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters, friends. Time that Nehemiah had, he could discern, is this just a burden or a vision? Have you ever thought you really cared about something and one week later you couldn't even remember what it was? That's the time you need when you're asking God about your life and things to do. Because sometimes you feel burdened about it. I'm traveling to Mexico with my youth group um, in California. And the problem was that we had a pool and I was so dark that when we tried to get back in the United States, the Mexican and the American, and you have to realize I'm 60, this is a long time ago, made me get out of the whole big unit of young people and stand before them. And they said, where were you born? I can't even talk like that. I don't know what I'm sounding. I'm like Italian. Tell us where you were born, you know, in a heavy Spanish. And the Americans are looking at me too. But the whole van lost it when I said in my deep southern accent, Mount Vernon, Illinois. And, and uh, the whole van just, I mean, I could hear them screaming, laughing, because they were all Californians. And the Mexican authorities looked and said, get her back in the van. She's not, she's not Mexican. They thought I had jumped into the van to escape because I was ridiculously dark. I don't ever want to be that dark again. But here's the deal. When I was in Mexico, Pastor Todd, and we traveled through those villages, when I got on the bus before I got checked at the, the border, when I got on the bus, I thought, I'm going to live here the rest of my life. As soon as I get home, I was only like 15, I'm going to get my stuff, and I'm coming down. I don't care what mom and daddy say. This is the Lord speaking to me. I love these people. I'm going to live among them. And the closer we got back to Southern California, and some of them said, you know, they don't have electricity there. You couldn't take your dryer, your hair dryer. You would have no makeup. The more I thought about it, I thought, eh, I'm not going to do it. Um, it wasn't, wasn't that calling. But see, I, I, want, I don't want you to miss this. The center of the calling was true. I was called to do what Jesus called me to do, but I put it in the wrong category. I was going to live in Mexico in the village, walking on dirt roads with no, no, no floors. I think sometimes when we take that time for the vision to mature in us, we might say, it's okay. Someone look at your name and say, it's okay. 
It's okay to have missed it. Through the years, I've heard people say they're going to do all kinds of things. And then when I watch what they did, I think, thank God, Lord, that you defined their vision. Because after time goes on, you realize, just like a baby, you can't rush it. The vision is matured. Nehemiah had four months to think about, is this really God? And then I want you to say, we mature. Look at your neighbor and say, you just need to grow up. You need to grow up. We all do. Someone say, we all do. Because... What Nehemiah could have done, he could have said, I've got this burden, I'm done. R.T. Kendall, one of my spiritual fathers, said, there's nothing worse than the idea ahead of its time. There's also nothing worse than being promoted ahead of your time. I remember when I read that one of his books, I was like, God, please don't ever let me be promoted ahead of my time. Well, I didn't even know what that promotion would mean. I was very young in the ministry. Visions matter because we mature as we wait for the vision. I want you to say the waiting is for maturity. If you ever had kids growing up or you're around kids, you ever see a, a little boy put on his daddy's clothes and they're just go cute, aren't they? Sleeves are way down here. The hat, you can't even see their eyes. They're walking around with their big shoes on. You know, it's just darling. But when you and I jump ahead of God, that's what we look like. A little girl puts on her mama's wedding dress. Oh, Courtney used to love to dress up my stuff and just I, I could go on for hours about that. And they look so cute with the dresses hanging. You know, they can't hardly walk, you know. It's so big on them. The problem is when they grow up and they put on their parents' clothes, they fit perfectly. I want my future to be what God says. When the time is right, I will make it happen, says the Lord. When the time is right, it's going to fit you. We don't like the waiting, but the waiting brings us into number six. The time between clutching, yeah, catching a glimpse of what God wants to do through us and what time we are led to move on the purpose often feels like a desert experience. Come on, somebody. I mean, you get the glimpse. And I wasn't talking about dessert. It's not dessert. It's a desert. Look at your neighbor and say, not dessert, but a desert. And you know what? We feel like this is a desert feels completely wasted. But when we look back, ask Moses who walks a million out strong after he'd been hidden for 40 years. He was 80. Someone say 80. Look at someone say, you still got time. You still got time. When he battled Pharaoh, when he crossed the desert with Israel, I'm sure he said, thank you, God, for not letting me do what I wanted to do because Moses knew he was a deliverer. And when he was a young man, he decided he would kill an Egyptian. He knew he was going to deliver Israel from Egypt, but he took matters in his own time, in his own way. I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he sat down Austin and calculated, how long will it take me to kill millions of Egyptians one by one? Or he just went out there ahead of time. Someone say ahead of time. But when he was ready, God used him. Number seven, Nehemiah knew what many of us have had a hard time remembering. Every one of us. What could be, um, can't be. I think I left an and in there. Can't be until God is ready for it. So sometimes we get this vision of what we want to do for the Lord, and God says, you know what? There's a time. Look at your name and say, there's a time. There's a time. Nehemiah chose the hardest option. He waited, and he was faithful. I want you to say, he waited, and he was faithful. Here's, here's the deal. Don't, don't, don't lose this, because this voice really helped me even today. The sense of time is wasting. I mean, I've told you so many people through 30 years I've pastored. I mean, just pack their bags and, bags and head out on the high Sierra or whatever, you know. 
I'm gonna go win the world. And they're back in a week again with no sandwiches and no funds and no nothing. Because sometimes we let time. Well, Jesus is coming. Well, I could say Jesus is coming right now and leave my house, leave my children, my grandchildren, leave this church and head off into Australia by myself. But if it's not God's will, if it's not God's time, I'm jumping ship where I've called to be. You are never wasting time if you're waiting time. Give God a praise for that. It's so true. But we could say, even with Moses, Sherry, we could say, God, what are you thinking? I mean, a whole generation dies while you've got Moses in the wilderness. What were you thinking, God? Because in the desert, in the waiting, when you're still doing things, I mean, Nehemiah was serving, we keep serving, but you say, I've got this thing I've seen, and I might not have seen it completely clear, but I know that God wants me to do thus and so. But during that time, you're refined. Listen, the desert will break off the self-absorption, the narcissistic ways. Can I get an amen from anybody? It'll make you teachable. You see, be encouraged. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, be encouraged. God has you where you are for a reason. Somewhere between four months and 40 years is God preparation. And there seems to be a correlation between the magnitude of the time and the magnitude of the task. Moses was called to bring people out of slavery. And God knew when he was young or whatever age that is, he was not ready. But when God is ready for you, no one can stop it. Can you get an amen? On your paper is, amen, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It is good. It's worthy. And I, I agree with that. On the box on your paper, this is so awesome. Do you wake up every day to circumstances that have absolutely nothing remotely to do with the vision you sense God is developing you? Then you're in good company. Joseph revised his vision from Egyptian dungeon. Moses spent years following sheep. David, the teenage king, spent years hiding in caves. And Nehemiah was cupbearer to the very king whose ancestor had destroyed the city he longed to rebuild. Be encouraged. God has you there for a reason and for a purpose. Someone say amen. Josh, if you'll come help me, I'm not quite done, but he's going to play. Give Josh a hand for the last few moments. I think the good thing is that Nehemiah waited on God's timing, but he was faithful and continued to serve. Some things God will show you a way off so that you can work toward it, but he wants you to stay where you are and be faithful. So everyone say four months later. So Nehemiah gets this burden. He cries and he weeps and he goes before the Lord and says, I just, I've got to do something. What should be and could be in Israel is not. Maybe there's something on your heart tonight. What should be and could be in people's lives is not. What can I do to help make that happen? Sometimes, and we'll talk more about vision the weeks upcoming as we follow Nehemiah into Israel. Sometimes the Lord just makes it on your heart. It's just what you think about. You see something, you think, man, that, that should be fixed. I'm not talking about fixing people's imperfections, but it hurts you. And he gets this vision. He gets this heart. I really want to make a difference, which we all have. And he waits four months. Everyone say again, four months. At any time, he could have jumped ship. But God has a day. I'm going to tell you something about God's divine orchestrating ability. I trust it more than anything in my life. God can get you to the right place at the right time. God can get you before anyone he wants to get you before. God can bring resources in to do your vision. I believe for this church, as things are 
everything is just increasing up and up. I believe that the Lord is going to bring us the resources to do everything we've ever dreamed we wanted to do in Jesus' name. I believe it is going to come continually because God always brings finances. Nehemiah one day went in to serve the king, and he couldn't overcome himself anymore. Now, you realize he's the taster of poison. So let's pretend that Misty is the taster of poison for me. We have a meal, and some of you wanted to kill me and take me out so you could take the church over. God's got your number. No. And so she is tasting your casseroles to make sure. At least that's the excuse she gives us as she goes through the line first. No. So she's, she's tasting these casseroles, and she comes in, and when she gets ready to taste them, all of a sudden she looks so sad. And I'm thinking, okay, someone told her someone's poisoned me and she don't know which dish it's in, you know. So she's afraid which one to taste. That's kind of a practical sense where Nehemiah is. He comes in and the king says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Nehemiah, I've never seen you look this way. Nehemiah, what is going on? Because first of all, the, the king says openly, I have never seen you like this. We don't know how many years he's an adult he had served the king. But he said, you're not sick, are you? What he's really trying to get at, is there a coup against me? You look like a man with deep troubles. And you would think at that point, Nehemiah might say, well, you know, he just jumped up and down. Prepare yourself to be dazzled, king, because I've got a point, PowerPoint presentation I'm going to present to you. In fact, I'm going to pass out folders to everyone in your court. No, he had spent time praying someone say praying never get away from that you would think during that time of praying that he would also say I will I'm ready to run through a troop or leap over a wall but it says on your paper look what he said I was dreadfully afraid so here he has spent Christine all this time fasting here he spent all this time praying and asking God about this burden is it from you God what am I to do God show me the right timing show me the right way Show me what you want me to do. Listen, it's okay tonight. It's okay. If you're in the middle of a time that you feel like you're just asking God, what do I do with my life? First of all, I want to tell you, the enemy, and Nehemiah's going to run into a whole bunch of this. You're going to see this man deal with criticism like you've never seen. Ridicule, hatred, demonic people against him. That's why it's important at this point. Everyone say at this point. Get it securely in your heart what God has called you to do. You see, and Nehemiah, and you, the enemy will tell you, you're not making a difference. First of all, whatever you're doing for the kingdom is making a difference. So give yourself a hand. You are making a difference. We'll get into that in a few weeks. But here he is. He spent time in prayer, and you would think he was just so, you know, we just see these people. We see them in general mode, and we think, man, she's not afraid. I've had so many people tell me that. You're not afraid of anything. I bet you'd face off the, and I'm like, who are you talking about? My dear friend, who I'm not going to say because of the podcast, but who also lost her husband in another part of the country, called me. And I asked her if I could say this. She called me one night, and I'm ahead of her. And for the first 30 minutes, she just wailed to me, just wailed. She's such a mighty woman of God. Just wailed and wailed and asked me, you know, you're this many weeks ahead of me. What can I expect? What is going to happen to me? What is... And just cried, and I cried, and I cried with her because that's the best thing you can do. And wailed with her. By the end of the conversation, though, it's so funny. She said, well, I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to kick the devil in the face. I'm going to the top of the mountain. And I'm going to take down. And then I just started laughing my head off. And she says, what are you laughing about? I said, because that is, that is, that is who we are. You know, people say, you're so strong. You may be on your face weeping. I'm going to say this to heal you. You may be on your face thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. You may think in your closet, I'm not making a difference. You may think, this is not going well for me. I can't do this anymore. But I'm going to tell you something. If you look at people like Daniel and Esther and Deborah, because what I said to my friend, whose name I'll not mention, but you know who I'm talking about. She goes, why are you laughing? She calls me Rhonda LaShondala. Why are you laughing? I said, because listen to me. That had to be the epitome of Esther. She probably went and flung herself on a bed and said, I'm done. I'm not going to go see that king. That had to be the epitome of Daniel at moments of his life that said, I'm not up to this. But then, some would say then, the strength of God would rise up there. Anybody else ever been that? The strength of God just rise up. You say, I'll tell you what. Deborah probably said, I'm going to ride the mountain of God. I may have been crying yesterday, but today I'm going to take the kingdom of God by force. Come on, somebody. So listen, give yourself a break. Give yourself grace. Stop bullying yourself. Because the great heroes of faith had moments, Linda, that they felt the same way, but they got back up again. So you see him and you think, and I said on the statement here, one of my favorite statements by Joyce Meyer, courage is fear that it said its prayers and decided to go forward anyway. If you're waiting to not be afraid, I think at this point, Nehemiah was very confident, but he said, I was dreadfully, everyone say dreadfully. And you think, man, I mean, I told you when I first started speaking, oh, I couldn't control my hand. I mean, I remember before I grabbed the mic, I said, God, please, I beg you with everything that's good and holy. Calm my hand down, please. So sometimes I would hold like this and my other hand would be like, I was so nervous. Someone say nervous. And, and, and still today that doesn't happen to me very, very rarely. I mean, I've been one time Marcus called me up in the middle of a live uh, crusade and wanted me to take the offering of all people in the Colosseum. And I had to take the offering. But I remember when I went up there, grabbed that mic, I just said, Holy Ghost, help me. And, and God really helped me. You get better at it, but you still are afraid. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be afraid. He was confident but afraid. And he said, long live the king. And that's when he made his request. Number eight, knowledge is the facts of a situation. Understanding is the meaning of the facts. But wisdom is knowing what to do next. Listen to me, this is so important. Nehemiah waited to the right time. He waited to the right time because he knew the facts. Everyone say the facts. It's one thing I can have the facts of a situation. Someone brings a situation to me and I have the facts. But then I have to travel along to get the understanding, which is the meaning of the facts. But the most important thing is knowing what to do next. Wisdom is knowing when to do it. Everyone say when and what to do. I want you to say, Lord. Someone, everyone say, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Sometimes we just want to say every word that's coming to our head. Can I get an amen? He knew the right time. Sometimes we approach bosses and officers or superiors over us. We just say, Lord, give me wisdom. Don't let Rhonda get in the way. Let Rhonda get out of the way. Give me the words to say. And the powerful thing is it says on your paper, 
And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. I want you not to miss this before we, we close out and I pray over you. This is what's so cool. The king said, what do you need? He said, well, first of all, I want to let you let me go. Everyone say, let me go. He was pivotal to the king. The, the length, I'll tell you later, it was a long time. Look at your name and say, a long time. Then, watch this. This is so beautiful and powerful. I got it for the first time from the book of Nehemiah today, as many times as I've studied and taught this book. He said, I want timber. I, I want your timber out of the king's forest. I want your wood. I want your trees. I mean, you talk about a man who had prayed over his vision. When we get bold, we will ask a banker for the resources. We will ask a boss for the resources. We will believe that we will receive them. Can I get an amen? And then he didn't stop there. Listen, this is so cool. He said, it, 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 right in that passage that you read, he said, and I want wood to build myself a house. Now listen to this. I want your, I want your, and your authority. We'll get into that next week. I want your letters of authority because he knew he was going to get into a mess. This is so beautiful because God cares. I want you to say God cares for the visionary as much as the vision. I like to think, Josh, in those four months, he may have prayed. What should I ask for, Lord? Show me what I should ask for. Okay, I'm just going to ask for, I'm just going to ask for the authority. And then the Lord says, no, 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 up your ante, up your ante. Jesus said, ask that it'll be given to you. Believe that you shall receive it and you shall have it. Sometimes we just settle for God, just give me this. But he doesn't stop there. Then God probably kind of challenged him and said, no, you need authority to get through that. You need his authority. Then you need wood to rebuild. I'm going to ask the king for his wood to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and his ancestors destroyed. And God said, exactly. But then he probably said, okay, I'll just, I don't know where I'll live when I get over here. Now watch this. I'll just sleep in the streets or some tent. Or I'll just stay with Uncle Jehoshimon. <laughs> or I'll stay with Aunt Sharilibam. I mean, they have odd names in Israel or different names. And then God said, no, 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 no. Because isn't that what we do with God? Just give me somebody that's not stupid, you know. Lord, just, just give me enough that I can get a Burger King. I mean, I used to ask the Hope House girls years ago, where do you see or what should be and could be? Where do you see yourself in the future? And they'd always say drug free. And I said, Absolutely. But let's go beyond that. Let's see you owning your own home. Let's see you paying off someone else's home. Let's see you be restored with your relationships. We stopped so short of the vision. I believe at that point, God said, no. It's important, Nehemiah, that you have a good place to lay your head. Look at someone say, sleep is important. Sleep is important. You see, because that time had filtered out his wrong motives. That four months had crucified his heart that he knew God was saying, Nehemiah, you're worthy. Look at someone say, you're worthy of a bigger paycheck. Come on, tell him. You're worthy of rest. Come on, tell him. You're worthy of care. You're worthy. You deserve it. We got this. Uh, give me one more. Give me three more minutes to finish this. But I ordered this little cheap desk off of Amazon because I flipped my, I have two offices at home and I flipped it after pastor left me for Jesus. And... Um, so I flipped it, and I ordered this $100 deal, Sherry. Michael and Christine took hours to put it together. When I walked in to look at it, I was like, my God, that's for Skylar. That's so small, it could be in the corner of a, of a midget room. And I'm very short, so I didn't mean that ugly. It's so tiny. Days and weeks, well, it was only $100. You just have to deal with it. 
You just, you just have to deal with it. I knew it didn't meet my needs. And one day the Holy Spirit said to me, this is a simple thing. I've got a lot bigger things, but we've got to be done. Holy Spirit said, I started looking on desk on Amazon, but they were so much more expensive. But I saw one that was so beautiful and so perfect where I could lay out all my notes. Because, like I said, I have two offices. One where I do the book. Anyway, I'll leave it alone. And right here, and I thought, oh, well, I already spent that $100. And I, I can't, I mean, we can't send it back. Come on, somebody. You ever done to deconstruct a desk that your son-in-love built off of Amazon? I mean, he threw away the box. Um, which I don't blame him because there was no way. And the Holy Spirit said one day to me, do you think you don't deserve it? So you don't deserve the right desk. Are you that pitiful? Are you that undeserving? You don't think I want to give you a place that meets your needs? God wants to give you things that meet your needs because he loves you. And I think it's so beautiful. So I ordered the desk. Michael came and, and Pastor Todd and took the other desk. I'm going to offer it to y'all, the little midget. It's not a midget desk. It's just smaller. Um, it's beautiful wood. Beautiful. Not a nick or scratch on it. And, uh, and so Michael and Christine put the next desk together, which took a long time. Michael said, even Pastor Todd said, what's in that? He helped carry it upstairs. Put it together. That desk is Beautiful. I mean, I could really cry because I just felt heaven's favor. Because when I sat down at it the last few weeks to do my messages, I just thought this is everything I've ever wanted. It cost me a couple more hundred dollars, but it's everything I ever wanted. And it, when I ain't got a deal because I applied for something that gave me a break, but I thought it's so beautiful and I keep opening the doors. I know it's so silly. But God had to talk me into the fact that I deserved it. And it feel unworthy. I'm just very cost effective with my resources. Not having pastor here and certain things, I just want to be real mindful. But I'm going to tell you something God said to Nehemiah. He'd have never asked for wood. It was stupid enough to ask for you to rebuild Jerusalem and then send your lumber to rebuild the temple, the temple of the people that are going to be your army. But furthermore, I'd like some wood to build myself a nice house. God wants you to have enough. He wants to bless you. You deserve it. You are children of the Most High God. You are worth it. Number nine, we are people who need more than rebirth. We need rebuilding as well. Our Savior has sent His Holy Spirit to partner with us in the rebuilding of every part of our lives. And just look up, and I'm going to pray. I ended with that because that's where we'll begin next week. I wanted to get this introduction out tonight, kind of give a foundation for Nehemiah. But you deserve it too. You are in the beginning of a vision in the making. I want you to say, I am in the beginning of a vision in the making. We're going to look at how, and, and I'm going to pray something very powerful over you, so please don't get in the mode of mood. Nehemiah was a vision in the making, and so are you. God worked hard to get you to this time period in life. He worked hard to get you into 2022. Here you are. You deserve to know what he's bringing through your life. Any emotional wounds, any mental scars, any unworthiness, we all have it. I'm so honest about what I deal with. I mean, I didn't think I was deserving of a couple more hundred dollars to spend on a desk because I wanted to save the money and then God said you're my daughter you don't think I want to give you a place where you can do my work sometimes we feel so inadequate Nehemiah spent those four months getting all that settled so he just said my God wants me to have a place that's good air conditioning heating 
a car that drives. Can I get an amen? Not one that I got to stop. I had to get um, $800 worth of new tires on Monday. Happy Valentine's Day to me. But the Lord encouraged me. You know, I want this vehicle to be safe. You can't have your son-in-law putting air back in that tire every two days. It's time. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, I'm a vision in the making. I'm sent by the king. As surely as Nehemiah goes into Israel next week, sent by the king of Persia, so you and I are sent by King Jesus into this earth. You, Nehemiah, are mighty in the hands of the Lord. You, Nehemiah, whether you work in the daycare, the factory, whether you work from home, whether you help the children in the school, you are the Nehemiah who's rebuilding broken people. Your presence, your light, your anointing, your words, your service is rebuilding people that have lived in a fallen world. You are a vision the making. There is much more to come. But in the meantime, in the waiting time, wait on God to bring it together. Because like Moses, you're going to see every desert you went through. Every time he rerouted you, he did it so you would fit the clothes that he called you to fit to be who you were called to be, to do what you were called to do. Because his is the kingdom and his is the power and his is the glory forever. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. So I want to pray this over you. You can put your hand on your heart. It's on the bottom of your paper. It's a beautiful prayer someone sent me years ago, and it's, I keep it in my office at all times. May God himself restore to you something you lost and never thought you'd get back again. Maybe that's your joy. Maybe that's your peace. Maybe that's the heart of worship you used to have. May he heal a soul wound you thought you'd never get over. May he pour out an abundance of joy and hope that makes you celebrate before the answer comes. And may thriving, rich faith mark your life in every way. You have access to the Most High God today. May you live accordingly. And all God's people say, Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for speaking to us. Lord, just let everyone locate themselves in the word tonight in this introduction to Nehemiah. Lord, let them look back over their note and think, yeah, right there, right there. Number three, that's when I felt you, Lord. Number seven, I knew you were speaking to me. That thing about me not deserving it. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me that I deserve your blessings. I do because of Jesus Christ. You want to take care of me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. This is your room. We welcome you to the next five weeks, some pivotal moments that you're going to survey our hearts and our minds and show us where things are broken down and just need to be repaired and built back up again. Thank you for loving us so much. Bless us on this journey and let us give Christ all the glory for the rebuilding and the repairing you've called us to do and the rebuilding and repairing you're going to do in us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.